Judges chapter 20 tonight. It's been a month since we looked into the book of Judges together last. And the last time we did, we looked at chapter 19, which is, in my opinion, one of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible to read and to study. And so we kind of took our, took our time catching our breath from that, if you will. And, and I have been, uh, been meditating on this chapter for the, those weeks and prayerfully considering how best to uh, teach through this tonight. And as I was, I was going through this chapter, again, there was a particular phrase that really stood out to me. In Judges chapter 20, we're going to eventually look at all of the chapter tonight. But I want you to look with me at verse number 34 to begin with. The Bible says, And there came against Gibeah ten thousand chosen men out of all Israel, and the battle was sore, but they knew not that evil was near them. They knew not that evil was near them. And then look at verse number 41. And when the men of Israel turned again, the men of Benjamin were amazed, for they saw that evil was come upon them. Now, I've taken my title for our study through this chapter tonight from verse number 34. They knew not that evil was near them. As I was meditating on that, I thought about how fitting of a description that was for the culture in Israel at the time of the judges. That just by and large, people were oblivious to the evil that was near them. Some of that evil was very near them because it was in their own hearts. Much of that evil was near them because it was in their culture surrounding them. But they were completely, apparently unaware of it and apathetic about it. And it's because of that that we find so many of these very disturbing stories in the book of Judges about people who did things that were wrong, that were sinful, and some of them very, very awful. In the days of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's recorded twice in this book. And the result was that wickedness was so commonplace that many no longer even saw it as wickedness. Does that sound familiar to you? Sin always has consequences though, whether we realize it and admit it or not. And as we looked in chapter 19 last, we saw the horrible story about the Levite and and his concubine who were traveling and they stayed the night in the town of Gibeah. And that night, the men of Gibeah murdered the Levite's concubine, his wife. He was so distraught, apparently, that he he committed a horrible act to try to get his point across to the rest of Israel Basically saying, are we going to stand for this? Are we going to allow people to commit these kinds of atrocities in our nation and not do anything about it? 
And so we come to chapter 20 as we will tonight and we see that because of the sin in Gibeah, that town in particular, all of Israel would suffer. Not just the town of Gibeah, not just the tribe of Benjamin to whom it belonged, but the entire nation of Israel would suffer. The tribe of Benjamin would be nearly wiped out for not dealing with the crimes of their tribesmen. The other 11 tribes would lose tens of thousands of men in the civil war that took place. But if they had dealt with sin when it was small, it might not have come to that. If they had delivered the guilty instead of defending the guilty, it might not have come to that. And as we look at this tonight... I want us to be impressed with this truth. We cannot turn a blind eye to sin, be it sin in our lives or the lives of others. We must deal with sin through repentance and rebuke and never defend our own guilt or anyone else's. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless as we look at your word tonight. Give us wisdom and understanding. And Lord, may we take this as it truly is, It is your word for us, not for someone else, but for us tonight. May we take it to heart. May we put it into practice in our lives that we would be holy and righteous people who honor you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to the beginning of the chapter tonight. Begin in verse 1. You can follow along as I read down through verse 11. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man, from Dan even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead unto the Lord in Mizpah. And the chief of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpah. Then said the children of Israel, Tell us, How was this wickedness? And the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came unto Gibeah that belongeth to Benjamin, I and my concubine to lodge. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and beset the house round about about upon me by night and thought to have slain me. And my concubine have they forced that she is dead. And I took my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold, ye are all children of Israel. Give here your advice and counsel. And all the people arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we any of us turn into this house, into his house. But now this shall be the thing which we shall do to Gibeah. We will go up by lot against it. And we will take ten men of an hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and an hundred of a thousand and a thousand out of ten thousand, to fetch victual for the people, that they may do when they come to the Gibeah of Benjamin, according to all the folly that they have wrought in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. On your outline tonight, let's note number one, Israel's outrage. Israel's outrage. When word was spread about what had happened in Gibeah, the, the, the nation of Israel was rightly outraged at what had happened. 
And so they gathered together a meeting of all the 11 tribes to discuss what the proper course of action was to right this wrong. It began with this Levite publicly explaining what had happened there in Gibeah and giving the synopsis of, of what had been done. And he concludes his little speech in verse 7 saying, Give here your advice and counsel. In other words, this is a national problem and we need to deal with it as a nation. So let's talk about it. What do we need to do to right this wrong? What do we need to do to punish this crime? Punishment does need to be doled out. So let's decide how best to do it. And so they came together and they decided that they would, uh, they would go down to Gibeah and that they would punish those who were responsible for this crime. And they set up a system where they would do it. Certain people at certain times and other people would be assigned different roles. But they got a simple plan together to right the wrong. Now as I read this, to my knowledge, there's no other instance in the book of Judges, at least during the times that the Judges were reigning, that all of Israel came together for a purpose like this. This may be the only national meeting they had for the purpose of setting a wrong right. For dealing with a sin problem on a national level. And as you think about that, isn't it a shame that it took something as outrageous as Judges chapter 19 for the nation to finally get outraged by sin enough to do something about it? Why did it have to take the horrible events of Judges 19 and all that happened there and after in order for the nation to finally stand up and say, Hey, we can't put up with this. You know, it would have been far better if they had started with the small sins generations before this and said, You know what? We're not going to worship idols at all. None whatsoever. I don't care how small, I don't care how few, I don't care how little. We're not going to do it. We are God's people. And he said that he alone is God and you're to worship him only or not to make any idols. You know, if they had started there when sin was small, they might not have ended up in Judges chapter 20. But see, they didn't. They had for too long turned a blind eye to sin until it finally got too big to ignore. You see, they had been incrementally desensitized to sin. And we see the same thing in our nation today. Some of you are a little bit older than me. Can you imagine if some of the things that go on in the streets of America today had been done back in 1950? What would the nation have done there would have been such a huge outcry that all of those who were guilty of the perversions that were on public display would not have been quiet until those people were properly punished. What happened? Why can that be paraded on the streets of America today? Because we've been desensitized as a nation. Little by little, we have allowed sin to creep in and to grow and I wonder, what's it going to take? How outrageous is it going to get 
before America is finally outraged enough about sin to do something about it. You see, our collective conscience has been seared. As Paul described in 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, for a long time Israel had been apathetic towards sin until finally this, this horrible sin was enough to shake them to their senses and say, hey, we can't keep going down this road. We need to do something. We need to deal with this problem. So there's Israel's outrage. But then notice from verses 12 through 16, Benjamin's obstinance. Look at verse 12. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is this that is done among you? Now therefore deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. And the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities, twenty and six thousand men that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered seven hundred chosen men. Among all this people, there were seven hundred chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at an hairbreadth and not miss. So what you have here is you have the 11, 11 of the tribes of Israel that had banded together and they said, we're going to deal with this problem. They sent ambassadors into the tribe of Benjamin to say, we need to punish the men that are guilty of these atrocities down in Gibeah, so deliver them to us. They are men of Belial, they are wicked men, and we're going to put them to death, verse 13, and put away evil from Israel. Now this needed to be done. Collectively, those men in that town were guilty of murder and many other horrible crimes. This was indeed the right punishment. And so Israel had amassed an army of 400,000 soldiers. And with that giant army, they sent to the message to Benjamin, send us these guys so we can punish them. We don't want a war. We don't want to fight the whole tribe. We just want the guilty parties so that they can serve just, uh, be served justice. And you know what the tribe of Benjamin said? No. No. In fact, they gathered themselves together out of all of the tribe and they assembled at Gibeah, the place of the crime. They all came together to protect and to defend and to fight against their brethren. They wanted to defend the guilty. They rejected the opportunity to make it right and they obstinately decided that they were going to defend their tribesmen, their family. To them, family relations was more important than righteousness. You think about the arrogancy of what Benjamin is doing here. 
Now, we know that the tribe of Benjamin was a tribe of warriors. We're told a little bit about their special forces here. They had 700 men that were so skilled with uh, using a, a sling to hurl stones, which was, you know, pretty modern weaponry in this day, that they could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. Oh, and by the way, they were left-handed, which mean, meant that they could do it left-handed, right-handed, probably do it underhanded, backhanded, every other handed you could come up with. These guys were tough warriors. And there's an element of arrogancy in here in which they stand up and thinking, we may only have 26,000, but we can take all 400,000 of you, no problem. And as we'll see in just a minute, they actually did kill a number of the Israelites. But as you think about Benjamin's obstinacy here, here's the point. They made the decision to stand on the side of sin and wickedness and evil and guilt to defend their tribe, to defend their family, instead of taking a stand on the side of righteousness. And we all need to ask ourselves the question this evening, when the lines are drawn, where will we stand? Will we stand for what is right or will we stand for what is convenient? Will we stand for the truth or will we stand for whatever makes us feel good at the moment? Will we stand with our family or will we stand with the children of God? Now we hope that they're in the same camp. But you know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Sometimes to take a stand for what is right, it means you have to stand against some of the people that you love the most. But we cannot stand for the truth if we're not willing to stand against the error. Benjamin's obstinacy. Now let's go on to verses 17 down through verse 26. And the men of Israel beside Benjamin were numbered 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day 20 and 2,000 men. And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. And the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men. All these drew the sword. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came into the house of God and wept. 
And sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Number three, let's note Israel's offensive. Israel's offensive. They gave Benjamin a chance. Give us the guilty guys and we'll take care of them and leave you alone. Benjamin said no doing. In fact, if you come after us, we're going to fight back. So Israel... Twice it says in these verses we just read that they asked counsel of the Lord and the Lord said in both cases, go up against them. This was at God's direction. But notice what happened the very first day. They went to fight against the Benjamites at Gibeah and the Bible tells us that 22,000 men of Israel died in one day. Think about that. On September 11, 2001, our nation was attacked by Islamic terrorists. They flew planes into the Twin Towers in the Pentagon. Another was crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. And over 3,000 people died that day. That was a horrible attack. But only 3,000. Can you imagine 22,000 people dying in one day in one battle? And then bear in mind the odds that were in the favor of the Israelites. Remember, they had 400,000 soldiers lined up ready to fight. Benjamin only had 26,000 or so. That was almost a one-to-one ratio of Benjamites killing Israelites. And there's no record of any Benjamites being killed in this fight. Now, put yourself in Israel's position. How are you feeling after day one? Not too good. And so the Bible says they went back to the Lord and they prayed and they, and they asked the Lord, is this what we need to do? Shall I go up again to a battle against Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, yes, go again. And so they went out the second day and almost a repeat of day number one, this time 18,000. In two days, 40,000 men died of Israel and no deaths recorded of Benjamin yet. Now at this point, if I'm in Israel, I'm wondering, are we really doing the right thing here? This does not seem to be going well for us. So notice how they responded. They went back to the Lord, and the Bible says in verse 26, they wept and they sat before the Lord and they fasted that day till even. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. What you had here was a little bit of a revival. It took 40,000 men dying for them to weep and fast and offer offerings to God again? Sometimes I have to wonder, what's it going to take for America? I remember after 9-11. Many of you do too. You remember how that on September 12th and for a short time after that, there seemed to be a great spiritual movement in our nation? Everybody was talking about how we need to pray to God and everybody was talking about how we needed to change and do different things. And what made me so discouraged was how short-lived that was. It was not long before we were back to what we had been doing and now even worse. And you wonder, what's it going to take for Israel? It took 40,000 men dying before they finally had enough sorrow over their sin. We need to let our laughter be turned to mourning. We need to weep over our sin. We need to be sorry enough to repent. 
Why did God allow 40,000 Israelites to die? Weren't they in the right here? Weren't, weren't they following God's instructions? Yes, they were. But you can't forget the fact that there was a long history of looking the other way that had to be reckoned with. We cannot turn a blind eye to sin because sin has consequences. And it's our responsibility to speak out against evil. Leviticus 19, 17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. We have a responsibility to speak out against evil, not turn a blind eye, not ignore it, not sweep it under the rug. You see, all of Israel paid dearly for the sins of the nation. The men of Gibeah murdered one woman, which was horrible. And as a result of that, now 40,000 more have died. Thankfully, the Israelites did not give up. They got right with God. And they continued to follow God's instructions. And they pursued justice. Let's notice number four, our last point. Benjamin's obliteration. We'll read verse 27 now down through the end of the chapter. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go again out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into thine hand. And Israel set liars in wait round about Gibeah, and the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day, and put themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the children of Benjamin went out against the people, and were drawn away from the city, and they began to smite the people and kill as at other times, in the highways of which one goeth up to the house of God, and the other to Gibeah in the field, about thirty men of Israel." And the children of Benjamin said, They are smitten down before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them from the city into the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and put themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the liars in wait of Israel came forth out of their places, even out of the meadows of Gibeah. And there came against Gibeah ten thousand chosen men of all Israel. And the battle was sore, but they knew not that evil was near them. And the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed of the Benjamites that day twenty and five thousand and an hundred men. All these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were smitten. For the men of Israel gave place to the Benjamites because they trusted unto the liars in wait which they had set beside Gibeah. And the liars in wait hasted and rushed upon Gibeah. And the liars in wait drew themselves along and smote all the city with the edge of the sword. Now there was an appointed sign between the men of Israel and the liars in wait that they should make a great flame with smoke rising up out of the city. 
And when the men of Israel retired in the battle, Benjamin began to smite and kill of the men of Israel about 30 persons. For they said, surely they are smitten down before us as in the first battle. But when the flame began to rise up out of the city with a pillar of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them and behold, the flame of the city ascended up to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned again, the men of Benjamin were amazed, for they saw that evil was come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs from before the men of Israel into the way of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And them which came out of the cities they destroyed in the midst of them. Thus they enclosed the Benjamites round about and chased them and trod them down with ease over against Gibeah toward the sun rising. And there fell of Benjamin 18,000 men. All these were men of valor. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness under the rock of Rimon. And they gleaned of them in the highways 5,000 men and pursued hard uh, after them unto Gidom, and slew two thousand men of them, so that all they which fell that day of Benjamin were twenty and five thousand men that drew the sword. All these were men of valor. But six hundred men turned and fled to the wilderness under the rock Rimon, and abode in the rock Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned again upon the children of Benjamin, and smote them with the edge of the sword, as well the men of every city as the beast, and all that came to hand, and also they that set on fire all the cities that they came to. I know this was a lengthy portion that we read, but I wanted you to hear how this battle took place. On the third day, God said, you need to go back out. And so Israel said, all right, we're going to do it a little different this time. We're going to be a little tricky. We're going to, we're going to set an ambush for them. And they set 10,000 of their best trained soldiers in hiding around the town of Gibeah. They began the assault that day, and when the Benjamites came out to attack them, there was an initial victory where about 30 Israelites died. At that point, the Israelites strategically retreated and the men of Benjamin and of Gibeah thought, aha, we've got them again, and they took off after them. And as the Israelites drew them out of the town, when they were far enough away, the ambush rose up, rushed into the town, and began to destroy the town. They lit the town on fire. Everything was burnt to the ground so that the smoke started rising up to heaven. And when the men of Benjamin looked back and they saw their town in, in flames, they realized they were in trouble. In fact, the Bible says that they saw that evil was come upon them. And at that point, the men came rushing out of the city and from every side the Israelites enclosed the Benjamites. And they started with 26,000 and they ended with only 600. Only 600 men survived to flee into hiding. And so, if we add this up, over 65,000 men between the 11 tribes of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin died in this brief civil war. Folks, that's a lot of death. That's a lot of bloodshed. That's a whole lot of widows. That's many, many orphans. That's mothers and fathers who lost sons. That's brothers and sisters who lost brothers, friends who lost friends. That is a tragedy. How did it happen? Did somebody just lose their temper? Was this just a simple mistake? No, this came because of a pattern that had developed in Israel over a course of time. 
where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But Proverbs 14.12 tells us that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The penalty for sin is death. And that is not just death in hell. Sin causes death, pain, misery, and destruction. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, here it is, bringeth forth death. Why did 65,000 men die in this three-day period? Because of three letters. S-I-N, sin. Sin that had been ignored, sin that had been swept under the rug, sin that had not been dealt with until finally it was so outrageous it could no longer be ignored. And finally, they did something about it. If only they had seen the evil before it was too late. You see, I take you back to that verse and, and that phrase in verse 34. They knew not that evil was near them. Now that was talking about the Benjamites as they were fighting in the battle and they didn't know about the ambushment. But what a, what a fitting description it was of their spiritual condition. That they totally ignored the sin in their own lives and the sin in their tribesmen and the sin in their nation. And everybody just looked the other way and said, it's none of my business. And everybody just ignored it and just tried to get along, just tried not to rock the boat, tried not to cause trouble. And because of that, sin kept growing and sin kept building and people became so desensitized to it until finally something so horrible happened they could not overlook it. But at that point, it was too late. At that point, the whole nation was like the Benjamites in verse 41 when they finally saw that evil was come upon them. But at that point, it was too late and they were destroyed. The good news is we do not have to be like Israel or the Benjamites. We can see our sin and deal with it. Don't turn a blind eye to sin and don't defend sin in your life or anyone else's. Repent and live in righteousness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as we close tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I was talking to a good friend of mine just the other day and I made the comment to him that one of the things that I think Christians sometimes struggle with is this simple fact that even as Christians we still need to repent on a regular basis. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 Paul was writing to a group of believers in Corinth. He was writing about some specific sins that he identified in 1 Corinthians. And he rebuked them for those sins that they were collectively guilty of. But he had received word that they had handled it. And he's writing in response to that. In 2 Corinthians 7, in verse number 9, he says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. In other words, I, he's saying, I'm not, I wasn't happy that you were sad. But I'm happy, I'm rejoicing that you sorrowed. To repentance. 
For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh, what's that next word there? Repentance. To salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I imagine that there were people in Israel leading up to this event in Judges chapters 19 and 20 that were very sorry about the state of their nation. They would walk through the marketplaces and they would see the obscene idols being sold and they were sorry that that was happening. They would hear rumors about what was going on in certain towns after dark and they were very sorry that that was happening. But they were filled with a godly sort of sorrow that did not lead to repentance. What we need is to stop just feeling sad because things are bad and start having some godly sorrow over sin in our own lives. Folks, let me tell you something. I don't know if I'm just getting older and grumpier or or I'm getting wiser. I'm not sure yet. But it is true that the longer I've lived, the more I have realized how awful sin is. And if I seem to be preaching hard tonight with this story of Judges chapter 20, it's because I am tired of watching people's lives be ruined by sin. I'm tired of seeing young men and young women ravaged By Satan. I am tired of seeing homes broken apart because of sin. I'm tired of seeing Christians give up on the good fight. Not because of any other reason, but that there's sin in their life that they don't want to get rid of. Folks, we cannot turn a blind eye to the sin in our lives. We can't defend it. We can't defend sin in anybody else's life. We need to confront it. We need to repent and get right with God. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I will be very honest with you tonight. It has taken me almost a month to preach this next chapter because I, I was not sure what was the best way to approach it. But I believe that the truths we've seen from God's Word tonight are very, very important for where we are today. 2023 here in Rutledge, Georgia. I believe that we have a responsibility to confront sin in our own lives. Not to look the other way. I believe we have a responsibility to each other to lovingly and kindly and graciously rebuke each other. And not look the other way. Look, we cannot expect the world to reform itself. Revival has to happen with God's people. And then God uses us 
with the message of the gospel to change the world around us. But it has to start with us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would take this message to heart tonight. That we would not be ignorant of the sin in our own lives. That it could not be said that we knew not that evil was near us. May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit convicting us. May we actively take part in that process that the Holy Spirit takes us through of searching our hearts and finding out those things in our lives that that need to change, the things that need to be confessed, the things that need to be repented of. May we willingly and humbly submit to your working that we might be holy and righteous for your name's sake. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.